1: You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to WFAN's Baseball Insiders. For Friday, May 27th, I'm Sweeney Murdy, and I'm joined this time by Yes Network analyst Jack Curry, who puts on many hats because he's also another co-author again. He's written "Swinging a Hit, Nine Innings of What Baseball Taught Me with Paul O'Neill from Grand Central Publishing. Jack's done phenomenal work for decades now, and I'm uh, pleased to uh, have him on the show and talk a little Yankee baseball and about the book. Jack, I'm going to get to the book in a minute. I know, it's, I know fans have already uh, you know, been diving into this, and they love it. Uh, happy for you and your success initially as this thing gets going, and we'll dive into that a little bit ourselves in just a minute. I want to start with you, though. At, we're basically quarter pole with the New York Yankees. And I don't think that it could have gone any better than this, despite your record wise, despite whatever issues we, you know, kind of dig into every single day. I mean, I think it's hard to be any better than they have been at this point.
0: It's kind of interesting, Sweeney, that you phrase it in that way, because a wise baseball journalist told me way back when, when I started covering baseball, you are always going to see the flaws in the team you cover more than you see the flaws in other teams. So, for instance, you're right. The Yankees have the best record in the major leagues. But you and I could sit down right now, as we are, and talk about some of the things that have not moved in the direction they would like them. Aaron Hicks, Joey Gallo, all of the injuries that they have incurred right now. Despite all that, they still have the best record in baseball. Their starting rotation has been phenomenal. Their bullpen before all of these injuries, I felt, was the strength of the team. And Aaron Judge is playing like an MVP. So there's a lot to like about what's going on with the Yankees. But I know even internally, there's a lot that they'd like to see change as well.
2: I I think it's kind of the battle that we fight with our audience all the time, because whether it's whether it's the radio audience, the TV audience, social media, what you talk about, they see the flaws, too. And it's almost as if I've had this discussion with with people within the Yankees, too, when they ask why everything is so negative. I say the problem is there's going to be a flaw or two in every single game that you play. And everybody's fear is that this flaw is going to come back and help you lose the World Series. It's going to cost you a postseason game, a postseason series. When in reality, I say it all the time, you can't fast forward to October. This flaw isn't going, might not be allowed to be a flaw, or there might be a different flaw when you get there. Um, it, it's almost, it's almost as if there's no enjoyment in the regular season, but you're when you have the best record in the league, you got to enjoy some of it.
0: right. 32 and 13 is hard to argue with five and a half game lead over the Rays. So I think a lot of people picked coming into this season, you never want to push the Rays back, but I love the way that you phrase that. And I think that goes directly in correlation with something that Brian Cashman has been quoted as saying, he said, the Yankees don't play 162 games. They play 162 playoff games. I never, ever would criticize the passion of fans. And I know you feel the same way. Sometimes I chuckle. The Yankees might win a game 11 to one and someone's talking, and I'm just going to make up a name and no offense to Tim LaCastro. Someone's talking about Tim LaCastro didn't get enough of a secondary lead off second and should have scored on that single. But I, I appreciate that passion and I love that passion. And I do think, Sweeney, that this Yankee team is built for October because I think the bullpen will get its act together. Chapman had about a month last year where he was awful yet. He did come back and perform. I'm not bringing him back as the closer, by the way, I'm not the manager, but <laughs> me, Clay Holmes, you can't move him right now. If you decide in one game that the eighth inning is the quote lane that you want to use him, that's fine. But in terms of closing games, it has to be Holmes. And I also think low will come back. And I think this shoulder issue must've been impacting his location. Clark Schmidt needs to needs to establish himself more, but I think this is a team. Sweeney, if some of the flaws we've talked about are are corrected or or at least improved in some way, that could really advance deep in October.
2: I think the bullpen is an interesting situation because if you can go back the last decade and look at World Series champions, whether it's you know the uh, the Nationals, the Dodgers, the Braves, uh, the Astros, uh, the Red Sox, every one of these teams had. Bullpen issues at some point during the season. What they they were good teams at the start of the season, or maybe they weren't and got better. uh, Some of them, like the like the Braves, for example. Um, But the bullpen is such a fluid situation for everybody, even good teams. Um, This is again another example of oh no, this is the flaw that's going to derail you. But you have time to play this out and World Series champions have shown us that uh, over the course of the last decade. I want to get to the Rays here a little bit because I think we all acknowledge the Yankees had a very favorable schedule over the course of the first quarter of the season. Um, But the first win of the series on Thursday night felt very important to me because all the injury situations and things the Yankees are dealing with right now, it feels like they're in survive and advance mode Right now, for the about the next two weeks, the old Jimmy V thing. This isn't about dominating right now. They've been dominating. They've built the lead, and to me, it's just you know stem the tide for about the next two weeks while the opponents get tougher and try to regroup.
0: So Sweeney, I'm going to answer this question or address this question from a Rays perspective because I think this really is important. We talk about the Yankees. That's the team that we cover. I said this on our post game last night. If you're the Rays. You see that the Yankees are wounded, as you and I have talked about, and they're down some players. And they come into your building, and I know they only had 15,000 there last night or whatever, but the Rays, that has never bothered them. Your pitcher throws a no-hitter for five innings, and then you walk off the field with the result that you got, and that was a slop fest. The Rays yeah. did not play a good game. They had a couple of errors, they had a couple of wild pitches, So, from the Rays perspective, here was your chance to throw the first punch against the Yankees, and you didn't connect. You didn't fail miserably. And, sweetie, when the two Yankees scored on the the ball that Walls threw away that Ramirez didn't, that reminded me of what the Rays used to do to the Yankees. I can't tell you how many times we've seen something happen where the Yankees made a misplay in the field, and suddenly there are two or three Rays scurrying around the bases. I thought the Rays looked in one game, and granted, I've watched them before this. I thought the Rays looked like a lesser team last night, and I know defense and the tidiness of a game has been an issue for them this year.
2: I made a uh, like a kind of a March Madness reference with Jimmy V. Survive in advance, and you know one of the things that you always look for is you know the best player on the court in those situations. Those and you know right now, Aaron Judge is the best player on the field, and I thought Thursday night's game really. Uh, illustrated how much he's grown as a hitter because he didn't hit you know two home runs like we've seen him do four other times this season. But in a game where the Yankees were getting no hit for the first five innings, they got a couple of guys on base and I thought as as uh, Yarborough is getting through the lineup for the third time, this is I thought it was playing almost into the Ray's hands because the Yankees are defeated. they have a depleted lineup. they have probably one more chance through the order to do something here and judge got him on the board. And the pitching made it hold up, but the fact that Judge got that run home and it wasn't, you know, a 450-foot home run, and then later a sacrifice fly in a situation where the result was still kind of questionable before they tacked three on, I, I thought that he's really showing so many other facets of his game. And I'm not even going on defense yet, but just his ability as a hitter is different than just hitting the big home run.
0: When you've got a 52-homer season on your resume, there might be some folks who don't see you play all the time who just want to brand you as a power hitter. But, Sweeney, you and I know that that's not the case, and, and you're exactly right. Last night exemplified that. I'm not sure judge ever shortens up his swing. I mean, judge is up there to hit the ball 115 miles an hour and hit it hard. We always talk about how Gleyber Torres is. When he gets the two strikes and he has that two-strike approach, he's a better hitter. I thought in the RBI single that you have referenced – I thought in some way Judge said to himself, think small. Think small. We haven't been able to do anything against this guy. I don't need to hit this ball 450 feet. There are two guys on base. If I find a hole, if, 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 and, and he doesn't hit a lot of ground balls, but if, if I find a place with some grass and he hit it hard enough that it got through the infield, and I feel the same way about the sack fly. I said that to Bob Lorenz last night. Base is loaded, sure. Everybody's dreaming about a grand slam. But at the very least, you need a productive out there. And and that's what he provided.
2: Uh, The Yankees with uh, three more against Tampa Bay, and then they play the Angels they'll play the twins in a couple of weeks. So they're going to face some of the better comp, uh, comp best competition. Although there aren't really great teams so far, I think, you know, and like, I think you said it best, like we're looking at it from a Yankee perspective and picking apart their flaws. I think the rest of the league is saying the Yankees are the great team in the league where we're saying, who's the great team. The Yankees are going to play and test themselves against.
0: It is a different look, especially Sweeney, when you add in the extra wild card, because I was staring at the wild card standings the other day and even if you got off to a lousy start, you're, you're still in the hunt for this. I mean, the Red Sox have righted themselves, but you're right. The Yankees are at the top of the mountain. Now there is, there is a challenge though, because you mentioned it earlier, they didn't make their schedule, but they did play 13 games against the Orioles before they played one against the Rays before they played a a twins team that has been good so far and an angels team that looks like it could be postseason bound. So these, these next couple of weeks are a challenge. The thing is, though, that by starting out 32 and 13, you have given yourself a cushion. You don't want it to happen, but there is a there is room for losing six out of 10 in there or losing four out of five and not ringing the fire alarm. I, I do believe that the Yankees understand that. And what you said earlier, there is a survival of the fittest approach. To this get some of your players healthy, get them back, maybe get some of these other guys untracked. Although as we're watching this also, Sweeney. Miguel and Duhar, there are at bats to be grabbed, and his at bats have impressed me. And as Hicks and Gallo have have floundered, and Duhar looms as a very interesting guy to get some of those at bats.
2: Yeah, and I think the you know the Yankees they tend to give as many teams do. You tend to give players who are struggling some rope. But when it comes time to it, you're not going to let them derail what you're after. Um, there's going to come a, and, and none of us know the expiration date on these things, but um, it's not like tomorrow's game one of the World Series. And this is a lineup you're going to run out there. there. There's a lot of time to figure this out. And you're right. The cushion helps you buy a little bit more time for that.
1: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: All right, let's talk about the book, Swing and a Hit, Nine Innings of What Baseball Taught Me, Paul O'Neill's name's on it, your name's on it. Uh, I want to know what you enjoyed most about getting inside Paul O'Neill's head.
0: Sweeney, you've been in the clubhouse as long as I have, and I actually feel that in writing this book, this might have started almost 30 years ago. When Paul got traded to the Yankees in 1993, I remember talking to him about hitting, and I always remember saying to myself, man, if I could ever chronicle some of these stories he has told me or, or put some of these theories together in book form, it would be a pretty good idea. So we, we eventually talked about that a few years and got around to doing it. I think the thing that I liked the most, Sweeney, was we all know how passionate O'Neill is and how fiery and intense he is. I'm not breaking any news with that. But when we ventured back to some of those moments and some of those games – I got I got Paul O'Neill in the dugout, even though it was a uh, just an interview between he and I, I could feel that intensity coming back again. And there were a couple of times where he would say, oh, Jack, did you have to bring that game up? (laughs) I mean, he was tortured talking about Randy Johnson. And we have a chapter that starts out talking about Randy Johnson. He only faced him five times in his career. Yet he still has nightmares about how in the world as a lefty hitter, am I going to be able to hit a guy who kind of throws three quarters. His arm looks like it's coming from second base. He's throwing at hundred miles an hour. So I feel like the O'Neill we used to see in the clubhouse, I kind of I kind of got to revisit
2: that O'Neill. The thing that I really took out of it, and there's a lot of great stories in your individual stories about moments, about teams, about years, about uh, different teammates and players. But when you read the whole book and put the whole picture together, I thought it was fascinating that – you know, and I talked to O'Neal about this. Uh, my chat with him is up on the 30 with Murdy podcast platform, for those of you listening. Um, it's, you got a picture of an insecure athlete and, and an insecure successful Professional, longtime athlete. And you and I have covered enough athletes where we know the arrogance that lurks in them and how they like to puff out their chest because they're they're the best at what they do. Now, that's not to say they don't, you know, understand the challenges involved, but rarely are they questioning their own ability when they go up in these situations. And it felt like yeah. And Paul this when I talked to him, it felt like this is kind of what he was battling almost every single day that this insecurity lurked in him. And no matter how much success he had, he had a hard time putting it behind him that every day was this battle to pump himself up again, whether it was against Randy Johnson or, you know, Tim Johnson or Bob Johnson or somebody with 600 against, it was that same attitude that seemed to be inside of him.
0: Very astute observation by you, Sweeney, five-time world series champion, Won a batting title, had over 2,000 hits. But if he was in an 0 for 10 slump, was lying in the hotel room, staring at the ceiling, thinking he'd never get a hit again. And we talk about that in the book. And I do think that speaks to his greatness, though. One of O'Neal's favorite phrases, and he says this a lot, is everyone's wired differently. And if he wasn't that self-doubter, that passionate player, he would not have had the success that he had. He almost spoke about Derek Jeter longingly as someone who could go 0 for 5, make an error, and walk out of the clubhouse eating an ice cream cone. O'Neal said, I would go back to the hotel room and I would torture myself. But that was part of his greatness. And I think everybody is motivated differently. Some people can close the book on it, go have a steak and a glass of wine, and and go get him the next day. That was not would He would wallow in it, and it it would bother him. But it would also motivate him maybe to take an extra 100 swings Against, uh, against fastballs the next day because that's the pitch he couldn't catch up with.
2: O'Neal always talked about how he just felt more comfortable talking about his teammates more than himself. It helped take the pressure off of him. Uh, and that part comes out here too because there are a lot of detailed portraits about the, the teammates that made the dynasty great. And he was, as you mentioned he was part of uh, all the World Series championships back then too. Um, he, he has a real good insight into all the different teammates that led to some good stories too.
0: Absolutely, Sweeney. And I think that was part of what was appealing to Paul in doing this book. You're right. He enjoyed talking about hitting, but always said to me, Hey, listen, this is this is my approach. This might not be everybody else's approach. But one of the things I said to him about working on this book was, Paul, we need to bring out some of the people who were impactful to you throughout your career. And his eyes kind of lit up with that because it allowed him to thank some people. So whether it's Pete Rose, his first manager, Ted Klazowski, the former Cincinnati Red Great, who coached him in the instructional league. Bernie Williams, Joe Torre, uh, Tino Martinez, Derek Jeter. There are stories about all of these players in there. There's a chapter on Ted Williams because Ted Williams once called him and gave him some hitting advice. But yeah, he got real reflective when we talked about those 90s Yankees teams. And he retired after 2001, Sweeney, because he kind of felt, well, we did everything we were supposed to do. I've got four World Series rings on my finger. What else is there left to do?
2: Yeah, I think the, the Ted Williams chapter is really cool because as I talked to him, you know, like it's not like he recorded this and it's not like he wrote down every word of it uh, after it happened. You and Paul did a really nice job of recreating this phone call and the message behind it, and the feeling behind it. And, you know, I always like to ask people, uh, athletes, you know, if you close your eyes, can you feel the ball hit your glove in this particular moment or the ball hit your bat or whatever it is? And just reading it, you can tell that, you know, you can take you did a wonderful job of taking Paul back to that moment. And there's a lot of things like that in this story as well. Um, it's called swing and a hit nine innings of what baseball taught me from grand central publishing, Paul O'Neill and Jack Curry. Uh, obviously Jack has written bestsellers with David Cohn and Derek Jeter in the past. And this goes right up on the shelf with them. Are we allowed to share what your next project is? I I'm not, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. If you don't want to share, well.
0: share away. I'm going, I, I will share away. So I've worked with uh, Sean Desmond, a great editor on both the Cone book and the O'Neill book and Grand Central Publishing. So our next book is going to be about the 1998 Yankees, and it'll be the 25th year anniversary in 2023. So it was a perfect time to go back and talk to all those players about what they remember about that wonderful team. And I'm sure Sweeney will try to answer the question, which will which will always go unanswered. Was it the greatest team ever? We're going to have some fun with
2: that. Can't wait. Um, all the others are uh, are up on my shelf, and uh, I uh, it's recommended reading for everybody. Uh, if you haven't caught up to the David Cohn book, it's called Full Count, uh, The Life You Imagine is the Derek Jeter book, uh, which I think you can still find. And Swing and a Hit is easy to find because it's out now. Nine innings of What Baseball Taught Me, Paul O'Neill and Jack Curry, go pick it up now. Jack, thanks for your insight here. I'm going to have you on again, I think, during the course of the season, and we'll figure some stuff out. Congratulations on the book. Father's Day is coming up. It's going to make a wonderful gift, and I hope, it's, uh, I hope it's done well for you.
0: Thanks for having me on, Sweeney. Always enjoy talking to you. Always appreciate our friendship. I'll talk to you soon.
2: Jack Curry from the Yes Network, and go get the new book. I'm Sweeney Murdy. This has been WFAN's Baseball Insiders for Friday, May 27th. Make sure you check out my O'Neill uh, chat on the 30 with Murdy platform. It's available on Odyssey, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, I'm Sweeney Murdy. Thanks for listening.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue.